Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream.
way to kick off our 11 o'clock service this morning, and we are certainly grateful that you have come today to join us for a time of worship um, here at Flat Creek Baptist Church. It's going to be a great day. If you are here for the very first time, we are so grateful uh, for you coming and visiting with us today. And uh, right there in the back of your pews, you're going to find a little envelope holder, and in that envelope holder, you're going to find a connections card. And if you could fill that out for us, and on your way out the double doors today, over to your right, you're going to see a connections tent. There are going to be some greeters there. And if you could just turn that in, we have a free gift for you as a way to commemorate you coming to Flat Creek, but that's also our way to connect with you during the week. Now, oftentimes, we have folks that come and visit, and then they want to become official members of the Flat Creek ba Baptist Church family. So we have a few folks today that are coming to be members, and I'm going to ask them to come stand next to me here. First, Ricky, you come on. Uh, Y'all give Ricky a big hand. Love Ricky. He was baptized here a few weeks ago, coming to be an official member. We also have Steve and Bonnie Bruce coming today. Steve and Bonnie, y'all come on. Y'all give them a big hand. Just a sweet and precious family. Been coming for a few months now and want to make that official to be a part of the family. And also Chris and Mallory, Jesse and their family. If y'all want to come on up this way, y'all give them a big hand as they come this morning. Certainly thankful for the Jesse family. And it's just a great joy to see all these folks coming to join uh, Flat Creek Baptist Church today. And I know all of you guys are excited to have them as a part of the family. Amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to have a time of fellowship and we're going to sing marvelous grace of our matchless Lord. If you could just stand up today, come and greet these folks and tell them th how thankful you are to have them as a part of Flat Creek.
standing with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed as we listen to that song, that one line that says, Will you this moment his grace receive? And I want to read a text to you this morning that we're going to be looking at during the preaching time. It's from Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, it's because of this grace that we're able to stand boldly in the throne room this morning and sing our praises to you and make our petitions known to you. And so, Father, as we come before you now to sing this next song, we pray that you would just begin to just truly stir in our hearts. There'd be anything that is hindering our relationship with you that as this song is sung, we would repent of those things, confess of those things, that we might approach the rest of the worship service and the preaching of the word with a clear hands and a pure heart. And so I pray, God, that as we sing this song, it would just be a, a sweet aroma of praise unto you today. Would you just continue in your prayer there and in your worship time with us today, Flat Creek? Just lift your voices to the Lord and sing along as we sing this wonderful song before the throne of God above.
Did you, did you hear what Pastor Zach said just a second ago? We don't get to the throne room without the grace of Jesus in each of our lives individually. So let's sing this old hymn now. Let's sing it together. Amazing grace.
thank you, praise team. Thank you, choir. Thank you, church. What a beautiful time of worship today. Amen. Uh, we're going to dismiss our kindergartners through our fifth graders now uh, to the um, children's church. You can come and meet our workers behind the piano uh, if you're heading that direction. And we got a lot of kids coming that way. Isn't that a beautiful sight uh, to see all those children? Well, you know, through singing in the first service, preaching in the first service, singing with all I had in the second service, I don't have much of a voice left. But we're going to do our best. Amen. But you know, you might be here for the first time and you might wonder why we sing the way we sing, why we seem like such a happy people. And that seems to always be the testimony of Flat Creek Baptist Church. People say that's just the happiest people I've ever been around. And we are a happy people, Flat Creek, aren't we? Amen. Yeah. We're a happy people. And I, I really believe uh, that it's Romans chapter 5, 11, just just in front of you. Romans 5.11 says, and not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We're not here to boast in a person. We're not here to boast in a band or boast in a choir. We're here to boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ Amen. because he's the one who saved us from our sins. Amen. You've probably already opened your Bible there to the book of Romans chapter 5. I told you just a moment ago in the opening prayer uh, that this is where we're going to be today. And we're coming to Romans chapter 5 verse 12 through verse number 21. Some commentators say that these passages of scripture found here from 512 through 21 are the most difficult passages in the entire New Testament to understand. One writer said that in these verses, the Holy Spirit stretches your mind to the limits of understanding humanly possible. Another writer said that, that really Romans 5, 12 through 21 is the heart of the gospel. And still another said that Romans 5, 12 through 21 is the intersection of this entire book of the Bible. That everything leading up to this point in 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 is concluded in 12 through 21. And everything that's going to come after flows forth from the conclusion that Paul makes in these wonderful verses of Scripture. As we're looking today, I, I want to begin by reading to you a little story about evangelist John Wesley. John Wesley was that great evangelist in the 1700s. And one evening he was returning home from an evangelistic crusade, and much to his surprise, he was robbed. The thief, however, found that John Wesley only had a small amount of money in his pocket and some Christian literature. And as the bandit was running away from the scene, Mr. Wesley did something perplexing. He called out to the robber and said, My friend, uh, you need to stop because I've got something else to give you. And of course, the robber was surprised by this because he had never had anyone who he had robbed say, I've got something more. So he turned around and walked back to Wesley. And Wesley said, my friend, you may live to regret this sort of life that you're living. And if you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Amen. The thief then hurried away and Wesley prayed that his words might one day bear fruit. And years later, Wesley was greeting people after another evangelistic crusade when he was approached by a stranger. 
And what a surprise to learn that this visitor was now a believer in Christ and was a successful businessman, and he was the one who had robbed John Wesley years before. And he said to Wesley that day, I owe my transformation all to you. To which Wesley exclaimed and said, Oh no, my friend, not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Amen. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Is there any greater subject that we could talk about on a Sunday morning than the blood of Christ? Marissa, will you raise your hand? we got some folks looking for a seat right here. That way they'll know some right behind you. Oh, come on in. Hey, I want to introduce y'all to somebody. I see these two individuals walking in. I was at the Mall of Georgia the other day, and I was walking through the Mall of Georgia, and they shared the gospel with me. <laughs> First time I've ever in 40 years of life had somebody approach me in a mall like that and share the gospel. And they blessed my heart, and I invited them. I'm glad y'all are here. That blessed me to see you come in. Uh, but when we think about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you this question. When was the last time that you paused to just thank God for that crimson flow that washes whiter than snow? A man by the name of Steve Charnick once said, Let us look upon a crucified Christ, the remedy of all our miseries. His cross has procured a crown. His passion has expiated our transgression. His death has disarmed the law. His blood has washed a believer's soul. This death of Christ is the destruction of our enemies, the spring of our happiness, and the eternal testimony of divine love. And Oswald Chambers once said, When Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, it was not the blood of a martyr, nor is it the blood of one man shed for another. It was the life of God poured out to redeem the world. And then William Bridges said, If the guilt of sin is so great that nothing can satisfy it but the blood of Jesus, and the filth of sin is so great that nothing can fetch out the stain thereof but the blood of Jesus, how great, how heinous, how sinful must the evil of sin be. I want you to look there in Romans 5 at verse number 9. And I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. We read this last week together. Paul says in Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified. Justified meaning declared not guilty. Having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now, the question that must be asked of every single person this morning is this. Is that statement actually true? Does the blood of Jesus actually save us from the wrath of God? I want to bring a message to you today entitled, Justified by His Blood. Everything that Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 12 through 21, is the proof that the blood of Jesus alone can cover a multitude of sins. And, and all we're going to do today is just walk down the text together. So beginning in verse number 12, I want you to listen to what Paul says. He, he begins with the word, therefore. Now let me just pause for just a moment from the outset of this message and remind you that the word, therefore, is a conjunctive adverb. And as I told you a few weeks ago when we began chapter 5, anytime you see the word therefore in the text, you must ask the question, what is it therefore? And so 
therefore is a linking word. It, it links everything before with everything that's going to follow. You can almost say that the word therefore carries with it an if-then connotation. If, if all the previous things are true, then everything that follows is going to be true as well. And understand that when Paul writes, therefore, here in verse number 12, it is placed in a strategic spot in the text. You see, what we are about to read is nothing more than Paul's proof that justification is indeed by grace alone, by faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. Friends, this is what he's been arguing since chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through chapter 5, verse 11. He is systematically walking us through these objections and debating points, trying to prove his hypothesis that the blood of Jesus alone will cover a multitude of sins. But that's the one argument that his detractors have not raised as of yet. That this, this argument that, that is it true that the blood of one is sufficient to cover the sins of many? Well, I want you to listen to Romans 5, verse 6 through 9. You might remember this. We looked at this a few weeks ago. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then there's that verse, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You see, here's the thing, friends. Our minds can somehow grasp the concept of one man dying in the place of another man in order to preserve his life, especially if the one who is being died for is a righteous or good man. But the idea that one man could die in the place of the entire human race, this idea that the blood of one man can cover forever the transgressions of many, you stand back and you have to ask the question, Paul, how can it be? This is the question which is going to be raised. And, and Paul knows that, that, that as he's taught about justification across all these chapters, 321 through 511, that he must give an answer. And he is now going to embark on this, this great defense of the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. You see, some in our day would argue and say, well, Jesus is a way, but Jesus is not the way. To that, Paul would scoff at the notion. And he would say, have you ever considered the concept of a federal head? Have you ever considered the concept of a federal representative? And here's what I'm going to say to everybody in this room. If you can grasp this concept, you will see that salvation can come only through one individual. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul puts the therefore here. It's because he's now going to give us his great apologetic on the sufficiency of the blood of the one to cover the transgressions of a multitude. And to do so, he's going to actually begin with the imputation of sin upon humanity stemming from the sin of one man. Let me say that again because I know it's a mouthful. But I want you to hear it again. 
the imputation of sin upon humanity stemming from the sin of one man. What does Paul say there in verse 12? He says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Now I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to jump back with me to Genesis chapter number two. Genesis chapter two. I've told you this many times. If you've been with us at Flat Creek for any amount of time, you know that we took two and a half years to go verse by verse to the book of Genesis. We go to Romans and what do we do? We just keep going back to Genesis. I told you then, I'll tell you now. If you can understand Genesis, you can understand everything. So we come back to Genesis and what did Paul say? Through one man, sin entered the world. This is taking us back to the beginning. It's taking us back to the book of Genesis. Now I know there are many out there in the secular world that that, that mock the notion of the narrative of creation found in the Bible. They claim it's a simple-minded approach to a very complex cosmological system. Of course, as we have ventured further and further along, the biblical narrative of creation is no longer taught in our schools, and it has succumbed to the modern teaching of evolution and the Big Bang Theory, which I would argue are satanic in nature. What I'm going to tell you, friends, is there is no other way than the way the Bible describes creation happening. For the only one who can tell us what happened at the beginning is the one who was there. And what does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God, he has given us the account right here in the Bible. Beyond that, the biblical narrative of creation and the biblical narrative of the events which happened in the garden give us the clearest and most precise answer to the nature of the world's problems. And this is Paul's argument. All depravity, all corruption, all the groanings of creation stem from one man and one sin. What does he say there? Through one man, sin entered the world. We know, of course, the narrative that took place. If you look there in Genesis 2, verse 7 through 9, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And then the Bible goes on to describe how God made the plants to grow. And God created animals. And, and, and the Bible goes on to describe the beauty of this place. And how there was a river that flowed through the middle of the garden. And how out of that river stemmed four separate rivers. And how the place was filled with gold and bedlam and onyx. The Bible says in verse 16 and 17 of Genesis 2. The Lord God commanded the man saying. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Have you ever considered that that's the only Bible that Adam had? His Bible was one chapter, one verse. All you have to do is enjoy everything I've given you. Be obedient to me and you'll live forever. But on the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Die. This was the explicit command given by God to the man, given by God to Adam. And of course, the narrative rolls on into chapter three. And you remember the story of that cunning serpent, which comes along and begins 
to tempt the helpmate of Adam, the one who God had created out of his rib known as Eve. And the Bible says when the woman saw, chapter 3 of Genesis, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. Friends, at that moment, at the moment that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered into the world. The Bible tells us that their eyes were opened, they realized they were naked, they were ashamed, and they hid themselves in the trees. Now, why do they hide themselves in the trees? It's, it's because the separation which now exists between humanity and God is being highlighted. In fact, it's highlighted at its most extensive point when we see God coming through the garden in the evening and he's searching for Adam. The communion, the fellowship they have is now broken. And this is why God calls out in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Separation now exists. And what is the result of that one sin? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 5, 12, and death through Sin. Friends, this was the explicit promise of God, wasn't it? The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will certainly die. And Paul is going to highlight this in chapter 6 of the book of Romans when he says to us, the wages of sin is death. Friends, there is a payment which must be made for sin. The payment of your sin, the wage that is owed, is your death. Death is not only a consequence of sin, but it's actually a merciful act of God. Have you ever considered what God does next? He puts a flaming sword at the entrance to the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. Have you ever considered that in their fallen state, if they had have eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in sin? There would have been no release from the body of corruption. That's what death is. It is a release from sin. Romans 6, 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. Friends, maybe the most heart-wrenching verse in the entire Bible is Genesis 5, 5. And giving the genealogy of Adam, Moses says, So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Can I just tell you today that unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that's what they'll say about you one day. They'll say this individual lived and he died. This individual lived and she died. If we could speak to Adam today in the grave, we would say, Adam, it didn't have to be this way. But one sin brought forth death. Yet not only death for Adam, death for all. What does it say there in 612? And death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Friends, it is the inescapable consequence of sin. We will all die. If you ever doubt that God keeps his promise, just look out of those windows right there. And there's a graveyard with people who lived and died. Many of them probably thought they would escape death, but you know what? There their bodies lay. You can't escape it. The moment that Adam fell, this plague of sin infiltrated the human race. And for thousands and thousands of years, it has successfully killed every single person who has ever lived. But here's the question that you must ask yourself. 
Does a person die for their own personal sin? Or do you die because you received the, the guilt that Adam received? Do you die for personal sin or do you die because sin was imputed to your account? And that's the right answer. Who said both? You got it right. Absolutely. You die for both. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4, there God says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. So you are held accountable for your own personal sin. But at the same moment, Paul says here that death spread to all men because all sinned. And what you have before you, friends, is the doctrine of imputation. We've been learning about this over the last few weeks as we've been talking about the righteousness of Christ being imputed to your account when you put your faith in him. That moment when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he declares you justified. He declares you not guilty. It's credited to your account as righteousness. There's a transaction that is made at that moment that renders you righteous, although there is nothing righteous about you. That is the essence of justification and the glory of justification. You can't save yourself. Romans chapter 1 through 3 says you are an unrighteous, ungodly sinner. Therefore, for you to have a right standing with God, chapter 3 through 5 teaches us that the righteousness of another must be applied to your account. You are not intrinsically righteous. Therefore, you need an alien righteousness. Therefore, you need an extrinsic righteousness credited to you. That's what happens in biblical salvation. That's what happens in biblical justification. So Paul has been sowing this seed of the doctrine of imputation across chapter 3 through 5. And here he says, death spread to all men because all sinned. And if you could just put a little parenthesis in your Bible beside because all sinned, you could simply put the words in Adam in that parenthesis. Because all sinned in Adam. That's what Paul is specifically talking about here. You see, just a basic hermeneutical approach to the text proves that the consequence of one sin of Adam has reached far beyond the garden. The fall or the sin which took place in the garden and the change in the Adamic nature has been imputed to our account because of one action of Adam. One man is our federal head. In Adam, the entire human race fell when he disobeyed God. Therefore, you and I have an imputed sin or an imputed guilt. We have been born with a sin nature because of the sin of one man. Now, of course, someone's going to raise an objection. Someone's going to raise their hand and they're going to say, that's not fair. Not only is that not fair, but you can't prove that the entire human race sinned in Adam. To that, Paul is going to answer in verse 13 and 14. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And somebody right there is going to say, got you. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. But understand that the word that Paul uses for imputation here is different than the word that he used for imputation in chapter 4. In chapter 4, imputation is the Greek word lagazamai. It means to credit to your account. But the word for imputation he uses here means to charge to one account. 
just like someone who is being charged with a crime. And Paul follows that statement with, nevertheless, death reigned. So death reigned as king. Death had dominion from Adam until Moses. Listen, even over those who would not sin in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Friends, this is a self-evident proposition. Sin is a violation of the law. And if there is no law, there can be no wrong. And therefore, if there can be no wrong, there can be no death. So if sin is not imputed to our account, then why do infants die? For a baby doesn't know right or wrong. Baby doesn't know the law. The baby hasn't broken God's law, yet infants die, don't they? Didn't they die from Adam unto Moses? Well, of course they did. And that's what Paul is arguing. The effects of one transgression by the one man has affected everyone. How do we know? It's because people all over the world who have never heard the law of God die every day. If you are not held accountable for a law you do not know, you would never die. But you do die. Why? Because you have a sin nature. You see, friends, you must understand this. If you want to understand how great your salvation is, you must realize the depth of your depravity. One writer said it like this. Sin is not what you do. Sin is what you are. And another writer said a man does what he does because he is what he is. I want you to listen, though, to the end of verse 14 because it, it comes in as kind of strange. He says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over those who would not sin in the likeness of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. Now, of course, the reference here is to the Messiah, the one who was promised on the day of the fall to Adam and Eve, the one who was promised to crush the head of the serpent, the seed of the woman. But doesn't it seem strange that Adam is referred to as a type of Christ? I mean, truly, it's a striking statement. We look across the pages of the Bible, there, there are definitely individuals in the Bible that, 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 are, that are symbolic or, or foreshadowings of Christ. And you might imagine that Paul would maybe write right here and say, you know, Joshua, the type of the one who's coming. Joshua name meaning Savior. And of course, Joshua took the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. So Joshua is a type of the one who is to come. Or you might say David, the man after God's own heart that, that, that had the covenant uh, of, of kingship. You might say that David was a type of one who come. Or Melchizedek, as they preach of in the book of Hebrews, that he's our great high priest without father or mother, without genealogy, seemingly eternal. And then Melchizedek is a type of the one who is to come. Yet across the pages of Scripture, none of them are called a type of the one who was to come. As a matter of fact, the only person in the Bible who has the distinction of being called a type of Christ is Adam. So how is Adam the one who sinned and caused the entire human race to fall a type of the Messiah? So when you consider typology, you got to dig a little bit. And one writer said it like this. He said, we see the typology of of Christ and Adam, firstly, in his human nature. 
and the formation and quality of it. As the first Adam was made by God of virgin earth, the second Adam, or Christ, was born of a virgin. As the first, so the second Adam was pure, holy, upright, and wise in his office as Lord of the world, head of the woman, priest of his house, prophet to his posterity in his marriage with Eve, a figure of the church. But in nothing more clearly than in his being a covenant head to all his offspring. And this is what the apostle chiefly designs. Friends, how is Adam a type of the one to come? And here's the answer. He is our familial head. He is our federal representative. You see, here's the truth. Every single person under the sound of my voice right now, every person in this room, every person watching online, every person on the radio, you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth and earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. See, friends, every single person who's walking the globe right now and every single person who's gone on into eternity, everybody, past, present, and future, you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. As Adam is the head of an earthly family, Christ is the federal head of a spiritual family. And you must ask yourself the question this morning, what family are you in? Are you in Adam's family? Or are you in Christ's family? And here's the bottom line. Since we are all born into the family of Adam, if we want to live in the family of God, we must be born again. Amen. Is that not what Jesus told Nicodemus? Nicodemus come to him at night and said, we know you're from God, for no one can do the things you do unless God were with him. And Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the family of Adam. But whatever is born of spirit is spirit. That's the family of Christ. And friends, what you have before you in Romans 5, 12 through 21 is an evangelistic plea from the heart of the Apostle Paul. An evangelistic plea to come to Christ. An evangelistic plea to come to the cross. To come to the one who bled and died on your behalf that you might be reconciled to a holy God. Just consider all those things we've talked about pertaining to your justification. Coming out of the darkness of human depravity, how Paul would write in chapter 3, verse number 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Out of the darkness of depravity, Paul says God has made a way and he's made a way through the doctrine of justification, Romans chapter 4, by grace alone, by faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. How blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose transgressions the Lord will remember nevermore. 
And then in the chapter 5, we've been looking at those blessings of justification. Peace with God, access to God, hope in the glory of God, knowledge of the love of God, indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, eternal security with God. These rich blessings which are flowing forth from your justification, our imputed righteousness. And here's what Paul is telling all of us. He's saying, compare the two. Compare the condemnation that you have in Adam with the amazing blessing of justification that you have in Christ. And when you compare the two, there is no comparison. Why would you want to go on living in condemnation when this amazing gift has been offered to you? This opportunity to be saved and become a part of the family of God. See, friends, just as we see the imputation of sin upon humanity stemming from one, we also see in the text the imputation of righteousness offered to all humanity stemming from the righteous act of one, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The imputation of righteousness offered to all humanity stemming from the one righteous act of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. If our condemnation stemming from the one transgression of the one man is true, how much more do we need the one righteous act from the one to save us from the sin that enslaves us? Friends, that's what Paul is building to. He's been building this, this foundation and this tower. We've been talking about it for weeks. And through all of this building in this tower he's he's coming now to this to this place where where he's trying to tell you if you want to know that the blood of Jesus can sufficiently cover the sins of many indeed the transgressions you yourself have committed then compare the two compare the condemnation of Adam with the blessings of Christ verse number 15 what does he say but the free gift the free gift, that's the Greek word charisma, is not what is given and not a grace that is given, but a grace that has been received. It's the grace that is offered to all people, everywhere, all ethnicities, every tribe, every tongue, every language. And for those of us who have been saved, it's a grace that you have already taken hold of. This is why it says in Romans 5 too, we are standing in grace. He says, but the free gift, the charisma, is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God, that undeserved gift, much more did the grace of God and the gift, the gift being salvation or justification or the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many, the word for abound there in the Greek is a word that means to superabound or to overflow. You might remember back in, in chapter 5, 
uh, earlier when it says the love of God has been poured out into our hearts and how it just continually flows and flows and flows. And that's the idea here is superabounding. It's overflowing. You might think of John 1 when it says in Christ Jesus, we've all received grace after grace from his fullness. It just keeps on coming like wave after wave on the ocean. It just never stops. Grace abounding toward us. In other words, if the sin of the one man had such a dynamic effect on the human race, imagine how much more the one righteous act of Jesus affected the human race on an even greater degree. Friends, if we stop right there, if we just stop at the end of verse 15, Brother Jeff, every believer in the house should fall on our face and praise it. I mean, if we stop right there, then, then we can only stop today and exclaim with Paul in Romans 11, 33 and 36, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable is judgment, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. If we stop there, we all fall on our faces in worship. But Paul says that's only the beginning. <laughs> Paul says there's so much more. Listen to verse 16. The gift, your salvation. Your salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone is not like that which came from the one who sinned. For on the one hand, for on the one hand, the transgression resulted in condemnation. So when you take that into account, we have to ask the question, for what sin did Adam die? Well, Adam died for the first sin. He was held accountable for every other sin, of course. But it was that first sin that damned him. And it was that first sin that damned his progeny. And every other sin he ever committed simply pointed to the depravity which gripped him after the fall. But it was that first sin. It was that first transgression which brought forth condemnation and judgment. But listen to what Paul says. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. What a glorious point of contrast. The condemnation of Adam was for one sin, but the justification by Christ is an absolution not only from the guilt of that first offense, rather it's an absolution of every sin ever committed by any person who comes to Christ by faith. One writer said, this is the meaning of grace abounding toward us in the abundance of the gift of righteousness. It is a grace not only rich in its character, but rich in its detail. It is a righteousness not only rich in a complete justification of the guilty condemned sinner, but rich in the amplitude of the ground which it covers, leaving no one sin of any of the justified uncanceled, but making him, though loaded with guilty, though loaded with the guilty of myriads of offenses, the righteousness of God in Christ. Verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness 
will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Oh, what a hope we have, dear brother and sister. Death came from Adam. Life comes from Christ. The grace of the gospel exceeds the imputation of guilt from our first father. When you come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's an abundant measure of God's love that is poured out upon you. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in you and the gift of righteousness exhibited in the gospel is imputed to your account. Therefore, all the benefits, all the blessings which Christ by his obedience unto death has purchased for us are ours. The, the Lord Jesus Christ is the great restorer of that which was lost in the garden. It goes on. Listen to verse 18 and 19. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness. You might want to underline that. Through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Verse 19, for as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, you might want to underline that, the many will be made righteous. What does Paul mean when he says the one righteous act and the obedience of one? What can he mean other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, of course, there's a sense in which Paul is speaking of the obedience of, of Christ across the life that he lived, of course, he was the sinless Lamb of God, and he had to be in order to secure our atonement. But he is speaking specifically of that one moment when the Lord Jesus Christ laid his life down for you and me in order that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved. Paul is mentioning that righteous act, that act of obedience that he mentions in Philippians 2 when he says the Lord Jesus Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Death on a cross. Friends, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of salvation, the cross of Christ. Oswald Chambers said, the reason salvation is so easy to obtain is that it costs God so much. The cross was the place where God and sinful man merged with a tremendous collision and where the way to life was open, but all the cost and pain of the collision was absorbed by the heart of God. That moment when Christ Jesus, Galatians chapter 2, became a curse for us. That moment, 2 Corinthians 5, when he who knew no sin became sin for us, all the wrath of God kindled against humanity was poured forth upon his son. And the sin which plagued the human race from the moment of Adam, the sin which separated us from the Holy Father, now had a perfect remedy. 
On the cross of Calvary, when we think about reconciliation, you can almost picture it like this. On one side, you have humanity. On the other side, you have God the Father. And there's this chasm that exists between the two because of sin. And as they stretch out the Lord's arms, it's almost like he grabs the hand of humanity with one arm. And he grabs the hand of God with the other. And he says, through me and through the cross, reconciliation can come. No more separation. No more hiding in the trees. No more shame and trying to cover your own nakedness. You can now be reconciled. Amen. The curse of sin. The serpent who tempted. They were crushed forever at the cross. Don't you ever forget that on the back of Satan is a nail-scarred footprint. For those of you who are in Christ, you were made righteous in the eyes of a holy God through an imputed righteousness, a righteousness which is not your own. And if all that's not enough, just listen to how he finishes this section. The law came in so the transgression would increase. What does the law do? It shows us how sinful we are. Paul mentioned this in Romans 7. He says, I didn't know what coveting was until I read the commandment, do not covet. And then when I read that commandment of do not covet, it produced coveting in me of every kind. And I realized what a wretched man I am. The law came along so that the transgression would increase. Listen, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That marvelous, matchless infinite grace freely bestowed on all who believe Amen. that we talked about earlier this morning that amazing grace that saves a wretch from his sins where sin abounded grace abounded even more and we think about it down there in the garden of eden in that moment when they fell what was the explicit command the day you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Sin increased when Adam ate of the fruit. And what do you expect? You expect Adam to die. But no, Adam doesn't die that day. Why? Because God provided a substitute. God searched through the garden. He found an innocent animal. He sacrificed it on Adam and Eve's behalf. And he clothed them with the skins of that animal covering their sin, covering their shame, covering their nakedness, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You get over there to Mount Sinai, and Moses giving the Ten Commandments, and on that day, sin become sinful beyond measure. But God didn't leave them in their sin. Instead, on that day, he also gave them the provision of a high priest. That high priest who is arrayed in high priestly robes comes carrying the blood into the holy of holies as if to say there is a way for your sin to be covered. There's a way for your sin to be atoned for. There's a way for your sin to be forgiven where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And how many times through the Old Testament do we see the transgressions of God's people, the nation of Israel? And how many times does God say to them, if you repent, you will be my people and I will be your God where their sin increased, God's grace abounded even more. 
And then you get over there to the New Testament, and you get over there in Samaria to a well, and there's a woman there married multiple times, living with a man who's not her husband. She's downtrodden. She's degraded. She's beaten up. She's been put out. And she shows up at a well that day, and Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water from a well that will never run dry, where your sin increased, God's grace abounded even more. Then there's that raging demoniac. No man can control him. No man can constrain him. No shackle on earth can hold him down. But Jesus cast the demons out, and when they come back from the town, there he is, seated, dressed in his right mind, where his sin increased, God's grace abounded even more. You might think of the apostle Peter, who denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, but at the Sea of Galilee, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, restored him three times, where sin increased, grace abounded even more. You might think of the apostle Paul himself, who was the great persecutor of the church, his sin increasing and mounting up against him to the point that he calls himself the chief of sinners but down there on the road to Damascus what happens on that day a great light shines around him he sees the resurrected Lord where sin increased grace abounded even more but friends perhaps perhaps the clearest example of all is that thief on the cross Amen. on the one side is, is a thief that is hurling insults at the Lord if you really are the son of God Get yourself down from here. Call down the angels of heaven and rescue us from this place. But on the other side is also a thief whose life was ruined by sin. I'm sure there were moments in his life where his parents were begging him, just turn to God. Remember the God of the covenant praying and asking God to somehow call their son home, but now he's hanging on a cross. His sin has increased to this point. This isn't where he thought he would end up. But on that day, that old thief looked over there at the Lord Jesus. And he said, you remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. Where sin increased, grace abounded even more. And I believe with all of my heart, if that old thief could sing a song today, he would say far dearer than all that the world can impart was the message that came to my heart. How that Jesus alone for my sin did atone and Calvary covers it all. The stripes that he bore and the thorns that he wore told his mercy and love evermore. And my heart bowed in shame as I called on his name and Calvary covers it all. How the matchless grace when I looked on his face of this Jesus my crucified Lord my redemption complete, I then found at his feet, and Calvary covers it all. How blessed the thought that my soul by him bought shall be his glory on high, where with gladness and song I will be one with the throng, and Calvary covers it all. Calvary covers it all, my past with its sin and stain, my guilt and despair, Jesus took on him there, and Calvary covers it all. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Friends, that's the testimony of your life. If you're a believer in Christ, you ran far, you ran a long way, you ran hard for a long time. But as your sins were increasing, God's grace was abounding. 
to the point that one day he would call you to himself. You put your faith in him and receive the righteousness of Christ. And some of you today, you do not know this salvation. You've never come to the cross of Calvary. You've never put your life at the feet of the cross and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I want you to know the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covers all. If you come to him by faith, and here's the question of the morning, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? If you're in Adam, you're condemned. But if you're in Christ, you are forgiven to the uttermost indeed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We always like to give a time of invitation, a moment for you to just boldly respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our musicians are coming. I'm going to sing a very special song for you this morning. Boldly I approach your throne. Our children's director, Breeze, is going to sing this for you. While she sings, we're going to ask you to make a bold step of faith. You don't have to stand up. You just stay right there, heads bowed, eyes closed. Somebody in the room this morning may have never put their faith in Christ Jesus. Just as one sin, one transgression brought judgment on all, one righteous act has brought salvation to any who put their faith in Christ Jesus. And if you come in the room this morning and you are in Adam, you can be in Christ by the time you leave this door if you're born again. And so if you are feeling right now the Holy Spirit calling him to yourself, we're going to ask you to make a bold move as they sing this song to just come down here. I'm going to be right behind the piano and I want you to come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. This moment is for you. If you're a believer, take time to worship. Worship at the feet of Jesus for all the Lord has done for you. Brother Caleb, if you'll lead. If you want to come be saved, you come at this time. Smile. 
days it's just been so good from the 830 service all the way till now you you hate to leave amen you just you just kind of want to keep it going it's just so good and so rich and listen guys we are so thankful for you being here today don't forget if you visited with us this morning please swing by our connections tent just right outside of those double doors over to your right we're going to have some greeters there for you uh, please swing by there and let us know of your visit we have a gift for you today it's always a blessing to have each and every one of you listen if you're here today and you wanted to make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe just didn't just just you know you want to ask some questions maybe just couldn't step out and come down the aisle I'm gonna be outside after the service uh, just come take me by the hand would love to talk to you about your salvation that you may begin a new walk with the Lord Jesus Christ today people always want to know how to give to Flat Creek you can give on your way out the doors or give flatcreekchurch.net uh, also mr. Brian Johnson um, is here Brian is one of the most phenomenal Bible teachers you'll ever meet if you've never heard him preach or teach uh, Brian is gonna be leading another trip to Israel next spring some of you have already been with him last year but you want to go this coming spring he's going to be having a meeting about that Israel trip immediately following service next Sunday morning okay so I want to give you time now to think about it pray about it be a great trip for you to go on a life 
life-changing trip, honestly. So if you'd like to go on that trip, please stay next Sunday afternoon. As always, be praying for Flat Creek. Be praying for our upcoming revival that's going to be taking place in the month of October. We know we can't put God in a box. As a matter of fact, we believe we're already in the midst of revival. That's why we've seen so many people saved and baptized this year, so many new faces and members to our congregation. That's just simply an extension of what God is already doing. But we want to have a time that week where we come together and celebrate. Go ahead and mark your calendars now for the last week of September. Uh, the last week of September, Sunday to Sunday, we're going to be doing a church-wide fast. Uh, we did this a few years ago. And God just poured out his blessings upon us. We'll talk about fasting in the month of September. So don't get, don't get in the tizzy just yet. Uh, but at the end of September, one week before revival, we're going to do a church-wide fast. It'll be a great blessing for us all. We'll talk about that as it's coming up. But go ahead now and begin praying about that time that we'll have together. Friends, what a great day. Let's close as we uh, end our service today. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful morning. From the beginning of 8.30 service all the way into the end of the 11 o'clock service. Sunday school in between. It's been a great day. Thank you for the new faces who have joined our congregation today. Uh, thank you for the one that's going to get baptized in the lake this afternoon. Marking the 61st person that's baptized this year in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ here at Flat Creek. Uh, thank you for those individuals, those young people um, who came in today who recently saw Summer and I at the Mall of Georgia and had the boldness to share the gospel with us. Uh, Lord, may we all have that same attitude and disposition of heart. Um, just like we sang at the first, nobody but Jesus. I'm just longing for the world to see nobody but Jesus. God, I pray you be with us as we go out of here into our respective families, neighborhoods, wherever mission field you're taking us to. May your name be glorified in and through us as we believe with all of our hearts. Jesus is not only a way, He's the way. And may that be the anthem of our hearts everywhere we go, the motto of our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus, and say these things in your precious holy name. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. God bless. Because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody to save my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. The world to see nobody but Jesus, cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who sang my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Living for the but Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today, 
and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area, and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're going to encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net.
Seven five Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Hi, 